Let's pray. Father, we love your word and we thank you for the time and the ability and the opportunity to study it. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as we look at every scripture we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at the first nine verses of Exodus 4 tonight. We started out, of course, last time, well, we, didn't, we, we saw last time that Moses begins to make excuses and God more or less says to him, wait a minute, you got this all wrong. You're, you're talking like you're supposed to do it. I'm going to do it. You just got to do what I say. You just got to go and speak and talk, give the message. Well, here the, uh, the excuses continue. The next excuse is, what if the people don't believe me? You know, now here, Moses is doubting himself in this sense. There's bound to be stuff in my life that's going to make people uh, doubt what I'm saying to them. So everybody, I tell you this, everybody who is called into the Lord's service I think part of the fact that it's a true call in the Lord's service is that the person being called doesn't want to do it for a, a whole bunch of reasons. And one of the strongest reasons is, uh, who am I that anybody won't listen to me? You know, um, and then uh, and then of course you start out thinking, you know, God is asking me to do a work. God's not. God's going to do the work. This, is a hard, this takes you a lifetime to learn, believe me. You don't, you, you, God's going to do the work. He's just going to put you there because he's, do, he's too big for the time-space continuum. All right? Uh, he, so he's going to use you. Uh, all you got to do is deliver the message or perform as God has equipped you to perform. Too many times we think that we don't live up to the testimony that we're about to give. Well, the whole, the whole thing is, the real testimony is the testimony to God. It ain't, it ain't a testimony of who I am or what I can do. It's not that at all. It's that here's God and God says this uh, and God's going to do this, you know. So he says, you know, who am I? Then... then are the people going to believe me? Are they really going to believe me? Now let's pick it up there. And uh, let's see, this will be in verse 1. I think this is verses 1 through 5. Yeah. Moses answered and said, but suppose, okay, this is probably the biggest mountain to climb of every servant of God. And it is to live in a hypothetical world. You're projecting things into the future when you don't even control the future. Now, I'm a champion at doing that. There are so many things that could happen, you know. Not to God. God doesn't live in a hypothetical world. There's one thing that's going to happen. That's God's will, you know. But Moses takes this hypothetical journey because he's nervous. You know, he's, 
He's, he's saying, what, what, what about, what if, what if this? When it comes to service to God, there's, there is no what if. You probably may not, I mean, you know, you, you still keep learning that lesson all during your service to the Lord. But, but what if, or what if? You don't even, you just, you just take the job, do what the Word says, and then it's God's problem. It's not your problem anymore. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. What if? Moses is an 80-year-old man now. He's talking to a bush that's on fire. And it's talking back to him, right? And so he's beginning to sort of argue with a bush that's on fire. That in itself, and it never burned up, that in itself should have made him shut up, but it didn't. It just created more verbiage. Well, burning bush, suppose they say, this is the first time that Yahweh, that, that the name of Yahweh is used. So he goes beyond now the burning bush and figures that God is in there somewhere. Now he knows his name because God has introduced himself. Suppose they say, Yahweh has not appeared to you. Now see, this is going to turn out, <laughs> there's just, God doesn't have problems. He, there's no problem. God doesn't have big problems. He doesn't have any problem. God has already determined how all the problems that we think are problems are going to be resolved to His glory. So this is sort of a silly argument that He makes to the Almighty. And it tells us that He still doesn't appreciate the power of God the omnipotence, the almightiness of God. Suppose they say, Yahweh has not appeared to you. Well, every, you know, here's the deal. You're not going to out-debate the Lord. He has an answer for everything. He created the question, and you know he has the answer. So Yahweh said to him, what is this in your hand? I love the way that he answers the question. They're going to say, Yahweh hasn't appeared to you. And he doesn't, God doesn't even say, let me get back to that in a minute. He doesn't even say that. He just says, what's in your hand? This is a very common thing in his hand. Everybody that was out there doing what he did had one of these. You just pick it up somewhere and kind of shape it and cut it to fit your height and if you have big hands, make a bigger diameter. If, you, if you're kind of strong, make it out of heavier wood. But you make it to fit yourself. There's no telling how long he's had this thing. This is a very common thing that he's accustomed to. This is a great lesson for every believer. What is it in your hand? It's a very common thing, yeah. Well, God, there's nothing common with God if he has touched it, if he has sanctified it, if he has called it into service, what is in your hand? What this thing, it's a staff. You know, of course, God knew what it was. It's a staff. It's a long stick of wood. 
I've had it, you know, he could have said, I've had it a long time. I really like this thing. I've worn it smooth, and it, it, no splinters come out of it anymore. And, it, and the, the sheep really listen to me when I swing it at them or whatever. <laughs> so uh, he said, and Yahweh said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses, <laughs> Moses ran away. Ah! My snake. <laughs> That's a big old snake. That used to be a stick. I don't know if he ran because he's afraid of snakes or because he's afraid of sticks that turn into snakes. He ran away. <laughs> That's just about what everybody would do. It tells you that even Moses thought that any... Any good snake is a dead snake, right? And Yahweh, well, and Yahweh said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I have to, you know, when I study the Bible like this, I'm thinking, okay, what happened? between the period it ends that sentence and the word that begins the next sentence that the Lord didn't see fit to show us. He probably said, are you sure? Yeah, he said, uh-uh, no. You know, what? That thing, look, at, well, it's, it's getting away from me. Look, yeah, grab that thing. I'd, I'd just love to have been a mosquito on the nose of a sheep. To have heard this, watched this thing work itself out. This is the gospel according to Charles. Maybe Moses had this great faith and he just did it. So anyway, Yahweh said to Moses, reach out your hand, take that serpent by the tail. Now, you know, I'm wondering how long it took him. He may not have said a word, but just waited till sunset thinking that Yahweh would give up on him. <laughs> So the Lord gave him a new lesson in snake handling, right? <laughs> Reach out your hand. Yeah, you're right. This would have been a, it's one thing to grab a snake. It's, it's another thing to just grab it by the tail. It, I'm, I'm going to say that most snakes would be irritated if you grabbed them by the tail. Uh, yeah, I was happy as a piece of wood. You did this, but now leave me alone. You threw me on the ground. So reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. Now back to quoting Yahweh. That they may believe Yahweh, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now here's what the Lord is saying to Moses. You, Moses, you always have that thing in your hand, that staff. You'll have it in your hand when you go back to Egypt. If somebody says, I don't think Yahweh appeared to you, you have <coughs> proof number one, sign number one, the stick that's in your hand. All you'll have to do, henceforth and hitherto, throw that thing down. 
I don't believe he appeared to you. Watch this. Boom. Tell that to my snake. <laughs> oh. Then he could pick it back up and it's a stick again. So that's the first thing that God gives him. It's interesting. See, I mean, you're, now, you're not going to outmaneuver God when you're part of the plan. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have a better plan or another plan than what God has. God has declared, you're going to go and do this. You're going to speak to him. And there's nothing that he can say. There's nothing that he can do that will get him out of it. Okay, so then let's look at the next uh, few verses here. And Yahweh furthermore said to him, so the Lord's not going to leave it there. He's going to give him a second thing he can do. And here he goes. Now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, then behold, his hand was leprous like snow. So he, he undoes his robe and reaches down in there and touches his chest and brings it back out, and he has leprosy on his hand. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, I could have I, I could have gone and lived in the wrong section of Cairo and gotten leprosy, you know. So how many, you know, by this time, Moses' brain is a question mark. What? I have leprosy. Drew it out of his bosom. Leprous like snow. But the Lord ain't going to leave it there. He said, put your hand again in your bosom. I guess he thought, what could be worse than having leprosy? So he put his hand again in his bosom and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his flesh. And Yahweh says, and it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So he throws his stick down, becomes a snake, picks it back up, it's a stick again. And then there's, you know, that other percentage there that says, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know about that. Okay, this and then leprosy. Come here and let me shake your hand, you know. So this is the second thing he can do. You didn't believe that. Okay. Comes up with leprosy. Now, let me say this. It's written in Egyptian history that the Egyptians and their culture would have spilled over some into the mindset, in some ways, of the Israelites, the Hebrews. It was, it was their belief that uh, certain gods could have power over certain diseases. And so with, with a very terrible disease, they would, you know, they would seek a particular god making a particular sacrifice. This would have been very significant, not just to the Hebrews, but to any Egyptians that were around. At that point in time, as it was in the days of Jesus, leprosy was a dreaded disease. There was nothing you could do except to watch your fingers and then your hands and all just fall off. 
turn to nothing, oozing away until within a few months or maybe a couple of years, you're dead. It, it gets to you and there's nothing that anybody can do and it, nobody's to touch you, you're unclean. Uh, this, would have been a, this would have been a most horrible thing. So the, the snake, of course, I won't get into that right now, but the snake was a symbol of a god in Egypt. And now an even greater, an even greater sign that with such a dreaded and dead, deadly disease, a god has to be approached. And you have to please him with sacrifices and other things. And if he is pleased, maybe the disease will be healed. Just an instant thing. Instantly leprosy, instantly cleansed and healed. This would have been a very powerful sign, especially to the Egyptians. Now Moses carries that with him all the time. The stick and then the leprosy thing where he can show leprosy and make it clean again because of the power of God. How are we going to know that Yahweh appeared to you? Watch this. Now watch this. Okay, but that's not all. Because these things get more powerful as they go. And we're going to end with this third one here tonight. And it will be if they do not believe even two of these signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the Nile and pour it on the dry land, the water, or it's, it should probably better said water, what, the, what you bring from the Nile, but it references water, will become blood on the dry ground. Let me see. Was it uh, Osiris? Was the chief god of the Nile and had a son, Hapi, H-A-P-I or H-A-D-I? Well, my mythology fails me a little bit here, but it was the son of Osiris who was born a hermaphrodite. He, it, he, she was both male and female. Considered to be, at that point, God of the Nile. Because the male part of the God gave the Nile, which, which created the power to give life, the Nile. Also, the female part of the God would nurture and sustain the life. This is how important the Nile was to the Egyptians. Now, suppose somebody could take water right out of the Nile, pour it on dry ground, and the water turns to blood. This would mean that this God has the power of life and death over Egypt. That's what it would have meant. The life of Egypt was the Nile River. I saw a documentary sometime back on how the archaeologists have shown, have shown that the topography of, of Egypt, especially the area around where the pyramids were and out from there, is so different from what it was three or four thousand years ago because it was a lot of, it was very sandy, it was 
very wet, the floodwaters would swell, and then when it would recede a little bit, the area was so fertile and they could just grow food all the time because of the way that the Nile would swell and shrink. It would, it would give life and then it would sustain life. And so they worshiped the God of the Nile. And it's generally agreed among uh, historians that the Nile and the characteristics of the Nile in the day of Egypt's power is what made the Egyptian civilization such a powerful civilization. Uh, they knew how to handle the way the Nile would behave over time. And of course, they worshiped the God of the Nile. Now, if somebody comes in and demonstrates that he has power in the name of his God, he has power over the Nile to take the water and turn it into blood, then they would recognize that that God would have power of life and death over Egypt. Now that's, what is that the first plague? Uh, change the Nile River into blood. And it's gonna take more than that uh, as we get along, as you well know. But this is primarily a demonstration for the Hebrews if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, go take some water from the Nile. Well, even the Hebrews at that point in time would have been dependent on the water that came from the Nile and, and reveal to them that the power of Yahweh is such that he has absolute power over life, over entire civilizations. If God, in the name of God, he changes the water into blood just by pouring some on a dry land. If he chose to change that whole hydrological system, that whole area would die. As a matter of fact, part of the documentary that I saw showed why the Egyptian civilization began to disappear. Because over a period of several hundred years, and there were reasons for why the atmosphere changed and the soil changed and other things changed. And the Nile, through natural processes, began to change its direction a little bit and its flow a little bit. And what happened is the whole place within a few hundred years was just left desolate because of what had happened to the Nile. And that marshy, plush, Fertile land was replaced with desert-type land, and people began to move away from Egypt. And Egypt, after so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, lost their power because they lost the way of the Nile the way that it used to be. So this is the message that the Hebrews get. I'm going to show you one more thing to prove to you that Yahweh has appeared to me. Turn it into blood. Go down, take a, take a dipper full of water or a handful of water. Pour it on dry ground, it turns to blood. This means that the God who had appeared to Moses was the God. Nothing else would compare to him. Now, the, the Hebrews would be the first to be introduced into this, to this reality. By those three signs, 
that Moses had with him all the time. So wherever Moses was, he could always pull out these three, one, two, or all three signs to let people know that he was there for sure in the name of Yahweh. Now, we're, we're going to see how this, of course, affects the people, affects the Egyptians, and most of all how it affects Pharaoh uh, until, un, until, until the squeeze gets so tight from the Lord that Pharaoh can't do anything more uh, except to acquiesce to the will of God. But this gives us a little introduction uh, about how Moses will always be able to prove that Yahweh is with him, that he's following Yahweh, that Yahweh is with him. These three signs, he can always do it. And that's what God says to him. Uh, the language here teaches us these are the three signs. If, if not this one, then this one. If not this one, then this one. But then that third one is the most serious of all. Because you see, there's no indication here that after he shows the sign that the blood turns back to water. That tells you that it's sort of the final thing that God's going to show you. So with this foundation... Uh, Moses still has another excuse. I can't talk in front of people. God's going to take care of that. We're, gonna, we're not going to go there uh, this time because that leads us into a, a broader subject that we'll need some time to cover altogether. So for now, let's pray and we'll be through. Father God in heaven, we marvel at how you have worked in the lives of those whom you've called into your service. Of course, you're never wrong when you equip people and send them out. We thank you that you are a mighty God, that you are indeed carrying us to eternal life, to a new heaven and a new earth, that you are infallibly guiding us into the glorious and wonderful life that we shall always enjoy in your presence. And we marvel at how you've demonstrated that all the way through the scriptures. So, Lord, we just pray that our faith will grow and grow and grow as we study the scriptures and seek to know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen.